We are so grateful this morning to have a portion of our choir back with us. I know they were eager to be here and the great joy of lifting high the name of Christ together. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for this time and this space. We're thankful for what it means to gather together. And that means so many things now. Whether we're watching online, worshiping online, whether we're in this city or in another part of this state or country or another part of the world, together the body of Christ is lifting high the name of Jesus. We are an expression of the fulfillment of your promise, even the promise that John the Baptist had come to proclaim, even the reality of what you said to the disciples just before you ascended, that we would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us and we will be made witnesses in all of Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And to the ends of the earth, the gospel is going and we rejoice. We rejoice that your spirit has moved, revealing to us the truth of the gospel that we might believe. And we pray today that even as the preached word goes out, the very same thing would happen. Men and women and children of all ages would come to saving faith. And women and men and children of all ages, even here today with us, would see again the glory of this gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. We're in our fourth sermon on the gospel of Mark. And over the last few weeks, I have sought to give you a survey of big themes that are present in the gospel of Mark, helping to find words that you, you will see so often, like the word gospel and the word kingdom and how they're connected, as well as some of Mark's other words that he loves, like the word astonished or immediately. So this morning now we come to the time where we're gonna focus each Sunday, week by week, upon the narrative as it unfolds before us. So we're gonna read Mark 1, 1 through 8, and then I will preach from this text. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. One of our desires always centered on bringing God glory is to help the people of this church understand that whether they're, they're pulling up the website to worship online or coming into the sanctuary, that what's happening at this time is other than. It is not the same thing you do day after day. There is a, a reality that we're coming in 
and worshiping the living God. There is the reality of his power and his presence in our midst. And so today, as we think about the kingdom of God, we're reminded even through the music that this kingdom is far more grand. And when we see the Lord face to face, it's going to be far greater than we can even imagine. What our dear sister Linda is now seeing is, is beyond what we can comprehend, and yet already we can comprehend some things of him, but not yet fully. And that which we can comprehend is so small compared to what one day will be true for all who are in Christ. But the temptation as we wait for his return, or as we wait for that moment when he calls us home, is to make the gospel smaller, to make the kingdom of God much less dynamic, to really begin to think so much about our own individual lives and individual experiences, even corporately as an individual church, that we lose sight of the sweeping epic of God's kingdom, the sweeping epic of the history of redemption, that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, professing faith in him, this is not primarily just about you and Jesus. It's about a story of his saving grace, redeeming you along with all of his people for his glory. John Frame and his systematic theology shared something that I read recently that just opened my eyes again to the wonder of this kingdom and the gospel of Christ. He says the kingdom of God is dynamic and indeed dramatic. God could have remedied the fall of man in an instant, sending his son in an accelerated time frame, bringing him to death, resurrection, ascension, and triumphal return in a matter of seconds. He could have. All things are possible with God. He could have done it any way he wanted. Or he might have accomplished this work in a matter of decades, allowing for a somewhat more normal kind of historical development. But instead, he, God, determined a process spread over millennia. He spent centuries narrowing the messianic line to choose a family, bringing them into the land of promise, ordaining the birth of his son in the fullness of time, accomplishing redemption in 33 more years, and sending his disciples on a journey of several thousand years at least to bring this good news to all the nations." Why he chose to stretch out the drama of salvation over so long, a time is a mystery. But God's decision is clear, that the history of redemption will take millennia, leaving space for dramatic movements, ups and downs, twists and turns, longings and astonishments, frames word, one of Mark's favorites. Salvation is to be a great epic, not a short story. God will glorify himself not by measuring his kingdom in time spans appropriate to human kings, but by revealing himself as king of the ages. Revelation 
15.4. Friends, you and I in Christ are part of this long, dramatic, sweeping epic. Though all of our lives, no matter how long we live this, this life on earth, is going to be short in the grand scheme of time, your story is not a short story. It's an epic. It's an epic of God making it possible for you to profess faith in Jesus Christ. And in God's sovereign timing, there are seasons in our lives and in history that are really dark. Seasons when we wonder, God, where are you? John the Baptist comes on the scene after a period of silence from God for over 400 years. Just let that number hit you for a minute. 400 years between Malachi, the last prophet, and John the Baptist. 400 years of the people of God waiting for the next word. 400 years of anticipating that one day the promised Messiah is gonna come. And now he has. On the scene, we see God's prophecy. We see his word preached. and We see his presence. The time period in which John entered the scene was very dark. The world since the fall of man, the fall of Adam and Eve, has always been dark. There are seasons that appear to be darker than others. And in those seasons, the temptation to look for other kingdoms or to build your own kingdom or to pursue a different king is very present. And it's very present right now. Pay attention. It's very easily easy for all of us to move towards our own kingdom or another kingdom that is secondary to this kingdom. But we can't as Christians. We have one kingdom that is secure, and it's this eternal kingdom, this kingdom that will last forever, and it's the only kingdom that will. And so John the Baptist comes on the scene. I want to talk for a moment or preach for a moment from this text about prophecy, preaching, and presence in the kingdom of God. First of all, I want to preach about prophecy. We are a people as Christians of this book. We believe from the beginning of this book to the end that it is God's holy word. It's all his. The word itself says, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That's why when we read his word, when we avail ourselves of the preached word, that we're going to learn things about him and about ourselves that should always lead to repentance, the turning. We are a people of the book, and this book is alive and active. It is a book that has so many prophecies that have been fulfilled and so many more still to come, and we trust the God of the universe to fulfill them. Those prophecies fulfilled give us great confidence that this really is God's authoritative word. There's great validation that it truly is what it says it is. John the Baptist comes on the scene 
as the last Old Testament prophet. John the Baptist is a prophet with the word of God on his lips. John the Baptist was born for this purpose, to point the people to the coming Messiah, Jesus. So great is his story and miraculous his conception that he's being knit together in his mother's womb. And as he's being knit together in Elizabeth's womb, Mary comes with the child that's being knit together in her womb, and it's Jesus. And when she enters the room, John the Baptist, the one who will prepare the way of the Lord, leaps inside. Amazing. Astonishing. Mark records the significance of this prophecy in verse 2. He says, as it is written. It's in this word. As it is written is a really important phrase for the people of God. The preached word is not to be man's ideas. It's not simply to be good advice that comes from this book. It's meant to be the story of rescue into this incredible kingdom led by an incredible and radical king whose kingdom is beyond what we can even imagine. And it's the sweeping epic that goes before us and sweeps us into it. And Mark says, as it is written. And then what he does is he refers to two prophecies. He gives credit only to Isaiah, but he's also referencing Malachi 3. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. John the Baptist, the last Old Testament prophet and the first New Testament preacher, is a fulfillment of this prophecy as well as a prophet. A prophet had the responsibility of forthtelling and foretelling. If you go through the scriptures and you compare which is most, there's far more forthtelling, telling the truth about the people of God in the present moment than there is foretelling. Both are significant. The foretelling fulfilled in ways that validate the, the reality of this authoritative word. But forthtelling, calling the people of God to repentance. The prophecy that is fulfilled in John leads him to a place of now preaching. Look with me at the text. Verse 4, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance. In verse 7 it says, and he preached. John the Baptist was created, and it was prophesied about him that he would be the one foreshadowing the coming Messiah, that he would walk up on the earth just before Jesus arrived, and he would begin to tell the people that the one is present, the one we've been waiting for. It's very common today and a good thing for us to have access to so much great preaching. Every sermon that Charles Spurgeon ever preached that at least was put into a text and preserved, I have in my office. You can find it online. You can listen to your favorite preacher, whether they're in another country or another state or even in the city, anytime you want. But 400 years have passed and it's been silent. And suddenly this man named John, wearing camel hair, 
and a leather belt comes on the scene. And people are beginning to say, have you heard this man preach? Have you heard what he is saying? And I'm not sure what you have in mind when you picture John the Baptist or you picture the crowds that were coming out to hear him and then be baptized. But it's all very significant. Mark wasn't just giving us, along with the other gospel writers, Matthew, Luke, and John, a tiny description of his wardrobe. He was speaking of significant things. Because they pro the promise was that a prophet like Elijah would come. And so the very fact that John the Baptist is wearing the wardrobe he's wearing goes all the way back to 2 Kings 1.8. He looks like John the Baptist. He's wearing an outfit like Elijah, I'm sorry. He is robed the same way. And this robe represents the reality of what it means for him to be a humble prophet. The description of his appearance of wearing this, this robe of hair, as well as the eating of locusts, symbolizes a humble life that was being lived in protest of gross materialism. Gross materialism even in the people of God. John the Baptist had character so deep and so centered and so anchored in who he was and who he was called to be. Humble, obedient, courageous. The character of the preacher always matters. It mattered then and it matters today. And the character of this preacher was one of incredible exemplary humility, one in which he was constantly pointing people to the promised one. That was his message. His message was centered on a baptism of repentance, see verse four, for the forgiveness of sins. And his message was centered on pointing to Jesus. Verse seven, after me comes he who is mightier than me, mightier than I, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. This man was ordained by God to be a prophet, to have his word, God's word on his lips, and he was famous for it. You may picture a few people gathering around to hear John the Baptist and a few people entering into the Jordan. No, no, friends. It was thousands, thousands of people who were compelled to come and hear what he had to say. And because of his popularity, those who were afraid of that popularity also came. The difference was those religious leaders who couldn't see themselves as sinners in need of repentance never entered into the wilderness and the water. You see the symbolism of John calling the people out to the wilderness is also real. It points back to the people of God in the Exodus when God called them from that evil rule and led them away. John the Baptist is calling the people out to hear a message. And the message that he's calling them to hear is going to be tough to hear because he's going to speak to them about who they are foretelling. And he's going to speak to them about who is coming foretelling. Longtime pastor Kent Hughes of College Church in Wheaton 
spoke in his commentary in 1989 on this passage. It says, when they came, the crowds, John first set them all down and then preached about their sin. Imagine the scene. Hundreds and later thousands seated along the Jordan, listening as John exhorted them, warning of judgment, speaking to individual sins, naming names, calling for social justice and repentance. The man with two tonics should share. Tax gatherers should be fair. Soldiers are not to act high-handedly. Specific instructions given. Specific instructions that people had not been living. In the 400 years, that long period of waiting, this man, knit together in Elizabeth's womb, born to be the fulfillment of the prophecy of Malachi and Isaiah, is now calling people to repentance. He's calling people to a repentance. And repentance is action. Confession is not repentance. It's part of repentance. It's hearing the word of God, whether in a sermon or in your own reading, and then feeling the conviction of the Spirit in your life that says you're going the wrong way. You're thinking the wrong way. You're building a kingdom that is not really about my kingdom. It's about a secondary kingdom, whether it's your own or another. Repentance is when you hear that and you turn. You turn in the power of God to the living God. His power and his presence in you. John the Baptist's message was, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And when he finished, they would enter into the water. And this was something they had never seen before. And they would be baptized. But John's message to them always was this. This baptism is not going to be like the baptism that is to come. When the one who is mightier than me actually begins to proclaim and preach the word, which is coming soon, he's going to baptize you with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Look with me at verse 8. John says, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Here John is speaking and preaching about presence. He is saying the kingdom of God is at hand because the king is at hand. And this king is now present. And this king is a king that's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means that God himself is going to do the necessary work to bring you to conviction, to show you your sin foretelling, and to help you understand that apart from him, you have no life. Apart from him, you cannot rescue yourself. Jesus Christ alone is the Redeemer. John's message of foretelling and his promise of what was to come was met by people who were eager to repent and they entered into the water. 
but it was also met by religious people who despised him and despised his word because over time, their religion had caused them to build a kingdom. And it was a kingdom of self and of self-righteousness. Just as that happened to them in this long period of waiting, it can happen to us. And when the Holy Spirit reveals to us that we are building another kingdom beside his own, when we are fixated on a kingdom that is not our primary kingdom, which is the kingdom of God, when we are building something that gives the appearance of security, but will ultimately in the end be insecure, we need to repent. It doesn't mean that there aren't necessary things that we need to tend to, like family and work and government and healthcare, all sorts of things. But the enemy wants us to fix our eyes there and not on this amazing, astonishing, transcendent kingdom that is radical with this radical king. For those who were religious and those like Herod who were powerful politically, they opposed John, eventually Herod having him beheaded. They opposed him and they would oppose the one which he was foretelling about, Jesus. The one who soon would be baptized by John himself. Amazing. The one who would begin to proclaim the truth of who he is. Who would say, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That message proclaimed to you today, and if you are already in Christ, it was a message that was proclaimed to you at some time. At that time, whether you were little, in high school, college, young adult, later in life, the same Holy Spirit that John the Baptist was foretelling moved in your life, convincing you of your sin convincing you that apart from Christ, you would not live in eternity with him, but separated for eternity in hell. God's grace was irresistible to you and you professed faith in him, praise God. For some, their story of rescue will be marked by this day, a significant day, a day in which the Holy Spirit alone who does that work did that work in their life. Some perhaps watching, some even here this morning or in the hour to come, or in other churches, true churches all over the world, they will say, I repent. I confess my need for Jesus. And the Spirit of God will reveal to them his saving grace. Today, and I hope Sunday after Sunday, is a time of God calling us into the wilderness, to calling us again to see the wonder of the gospel, of how desperate we still are for him and how lavishing his grace and love for us is. It's his kindness that leads to repentance. This morning, I taught the children about repentance. And you know that it's not just for them. 
My concern, as I mentioned already, is not primarily about shopping carts in a grocery store, but it's in churches where people hear the truth, but they don't stop and turn. They just continue to live their lives the same way. Friend, you've heard the good news today. If you are already a believer, spend time again thanking the Lord for his grace and ask him for mercy to show you anywhere in your life where you're living in sin and seeking to build your own kingdom. I promise you are, and so am I. But as his child, what a privilege to know that he will reveal that to us. And as he does, he reveals once again the richness of his mercy. If today you know you've never professed faith in Jesus, well, perhaps this is the reason why you're tuning in or why you're sitting here. Maybe today's the day where you cry out in obedience to Jesus and you simply cry to him, rescue me, save me from my sins. If that's a decision that you are making today, would you please tell me or Robbie or one of our other pastors or a person that you came with or someone that you're watching online with? This is the most important decision you will ever make. Turn to Jesus. Trust him. Father, we rejoice that there was a man named John the Baptist, that he walked upon this earth at essentially the same time you did, and that he was obedient to the call that you had given him in his life. Lord God Almighty, thank you for the promise that he told us about, and thank you for the honesty with which he was used by you to convict us of sin. Lord, lead us to repentance. Lead us to trust in you. Lead us, Lord, to rejoice that we are part of the one true eternal kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.